This is music journalist A. Scott Galloway, and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWG, truth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. back 
KCWG, thetruth.com. The name of this program is Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. Oh, I'm very, very excited to have this next guest on. You guys know this good brother, legendary urban music journalist. In fact, we got a whole lot of them on the show this evening. Uh, he's been here multiple times before, and I am so proud that he's here to help us pay tribute to one of the fallen legends in rock and roll drumming. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, the good brother, Mr. A. Scott Galloway. Mr. Galloway, are you there? <laughs> Good evening, my brother, and Happy New Year. Happy 2020. How in the world are you doing this decade? 2020, my brother. Remember back in 1999 when it was about to turn to 2000? Everybody was all scared. How scared were you uh, when 2019 was about to end, my brother? <laughs> yeah, I think I just rolled over and, and uh, you know, <laughs> went right to bed, man. It, it right? wasn't anything for me, man. I mean, you know. Stevie Wonder says superstition ain't the way. Ooh, come on now. Hey, well, I'm proud to say that you made it over, and uh, I did too. And uh, speaking of making it over, man, we just had another uh, quite noteworthy transition in the world of rock and roll. Um, Mr. Galloway, you've been here multiple times and helped us pay tribute to many people, man. Uh, none of them, in, in no particular order, you know, I'll, I'll just start with the drummers, man. Uh, Leon Ndugu Chancellor. I mean, you helped mm. us break it down with him. Oh my God. And then uh, Jabo Starks from James Brown's band. You know, two stalwarts. Yeah. I mean, true ambassadors of the instrument. You know what I'm saying? You helped us put it down with, with those two cats. And now we just lost another one, man, in the world of rock and roll. Uh, the rock group Rush, ladies and gentlemen, uh, had a famous songwriter, drummer, no more for his drumming than anything. Uh, Neil Peart just recently passed away, Mr. A. Scott Galloway. And uh, I was very fascinated. Actually, that's not even the right word. I was surprised at the, the resonance of the, the news when it broke, Scott. And it's, it, we're probably about a week out from his passing now, right? It's been a few days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was surprised. About a week. People, yeah, and I was surprised that people that don't normally post anything about music, they were posting about him. You know what I'm saying? And people I wouldn't associate with, oh, you like Rush or you like Kim? So in all honesty, man, it's like I, I've known about this band for years, but I'm not that intimately familiar with the, the band. But there, there's something to be said about just musical talent. Mr. A. Scott Galloway, can you break down the, uh, the gravity of this loss? What was the life and talent of Neil Peart? What did it mean to the world of music, Mr. A. Scott Galloway? I think that the story of, of Neil Peart resonated with a, a, a lot of folks uh, because it went beyond his mastery of music, which in and of itself was just remarkable. I mean, you know, he he wasn't even the original drummer for the band. We'll start with that. And then I'll go into the more personal things. You know, he came in on their second album in the uh, mid seventies and, and became a force within the band. Most people, most rock bands or any band, you know, usually the, uh, the driving force is a guitar player or a lead singer, something like that. And, uh, you know, in this particular band, you know, Getty Lee on bass and Mr. Um, oh my goodness, Jerry Leaveson on uh, guitar, uh, just, you know, they they were amazing musicians, but they were not necessarily, songwriters and what uh neil peart brought to the group beyond you know an amazing facility for playing drums was a very uh literature heavy um 
mystical, introspective kind of approach to lyrics and songwriting. And, uh, you know, his, his, his works were, were epic as far as that was concerned. And it was rare for you to ever have a drummer be in the band that was the primary lyricist of that band as well. And we're talking a power trio. This is just three cats, you know. Mm. They never got, you know, uh, any other members, no extra keyboard player or, or, or anything like that. They always vowed to do everything themselves. But, um, you know, on the surface, everybody knows that Neil Peart was, uh, you know, an amazing drummer. And um, one of the things that drove him was the fact that he was a perfectionist and he was a very disciplined uh, musician. And, you know, this brother practiced all the time. He was always searching to get better. That that search took him beyond rock into uh, because interestingly, his first you know, some of the influences that he uh, initially would uh, tell people about in the few rare interviews that he would do was, you know, he liked people like Keith Moon of The Who, Mm -hmm. who was, you know, a wild man drummer, you know, somebody who was just kind of like, you know, uh, you know, had a lot of facility, but was also just a a madman, you know, just, you know, all over the kit. And, but that is so not what Neil turned out to be. You know, I think that's what brought him to drumming but then, you know, he, like I said, he was very, very disciplined. And, and at one point, he became very infatuated with jazz drumming and uh, people like Buddy Rich and Gene Krupa. And uh, so here, once he got that under his belt, you had a drummer who could really, a rock drummer who could really swing. You know, he loved the feel of swing and added that to his music. And I don't think there's another rock drummer that could uh, swing as hard as Neil, except for potentially Alex Van Halen. Alex Ooh, Van Halen. Wow, has a, dude, that's crazy. Has, I just wrote that name down. I was going to mention that name and get your thoughts on it because I failed to mention that you actually most recently paid tribute with us uh, to the late Ginger Baker, who also yeah. pollinated genres and took the, the, the art of drumming to another level. Uh, but you just mentioned Alex Van Halen. Talk to me more about that comparison that you mentioned there. And uh, how did Neil distinguish himself from drummers such as Ginger Baker and Alex Van Halen? Well, Alex, you know, uh, I'm not off the top of my head. Uh, I don't remember what, you know, his training was or, or if he listened to a lot of jazz. I, you know, if, now that I remember, I think their father, you know, uh, Alex Van Halen and Eddie Van Halen's father uh, played clarinet. And I think he, uh, as a clarinetist back in, in the era when he was doing his thing, would certainly have been, you know, into swing uh, in, you know, probably the swing era of people like, you know, a Glenn Miller and Benny Goodman and, and those type of people. So I'm sure there was some sort of a jazz background for them. But um, when I speak about Alex Van Halen, that's just from my own ears. You listen to something like Hot for Teacher or you listen to, mm-hmm. you know, various other songs in their catalog. He has a very natural affinity for swing in his approach to rock and ginger baker you know he he did as well uh, he he loved jazz you know but he was a much harder hitter you know i don't think he was as and he was an incredible drummer do not get me wrong and, and i think that the influence that that was more heavy on him was the influence directly of african rhythms as it was for neil as well mm. uh, um but um yeah, Ginger Ginger's approach to jazz was more like that of the powerhouse Elvin Jones, who of course was, you know, an, an amazing 
swinger, but he had a very hard, you know, uh, swing and, you know, just more of a ferocious energy that he brought to jazz. Uh, whereas, you know, some of the other jazz drummers, there was a, a different level of, dare I say, finesse, you know, uh, in, in the way that they did things. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, again, you know, all the greatest drummers, they, they could do it all. I mean, Elvin is known for the power, but he could he could lay back on some brushes and swing as well. Mm. But getting back to Neil, uh, you know, so so Neil had, you know, a little bit of the same trajectory. He loved jazz. And then he also studied, you know, African uh, rhythms as, as well. And, uh, you know, he didn't ab- absorb it in the same way that Ginger did, i.e. going to Africa and living there and you know, getting African wife or, or any of that kind of stuff. You know, he just really studied those rhythms and uh, and also just the music of Africa in general. And one of the things that you'll see if you take a look at any of the amazing solos that uh, Ginger did, and, and thankfully, you know, he he is very very well documented on uh, film and video. Uh, you know, he he has um, electronic devices. Uh, or, you know, kind of uh, mallet, um, electronic mallet bars uh, on as part of his drum kit, where he will actually play melodic figures right in between playing rhythmic figures. And uh, he, he, was, he, was, he, was, he was just outstanding, man, um, in his approach. And again, very disciplined, a lot of practice, a very focused guy. So, which brings me to the, the personal level uh, of what happened with Neil Peart. You know, uh, like I said, he's also an amazing lyricist. And when he was not on the road, you know, uh, with the band, he was on the road on his motorcycle and, and traveling and kind of writing introspectively about his thoughts, his perspectives on life, his life itself. And unfortunately, Neil had, you know, a lot of, you know, a, a heavy level of tragedy in his life. He lost his daughter uh, at one point and followed very shortly by, you know, his first wife. And uh, he had to deal with, you know, how he was going to handle that. Uh, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't remember exactly how they pa- how they perished, but it was, you know, it was obviously before their time and uh, and very tragic for him. Right. And, uh, and he had to he had to go on, and and he all, always kind of harbored some guilt about how much time he spent in the band and and uh, you know on the road away from his family. So there was there was a a bit of a tortured soul with Neil Peart as well. And this is the the level that that um, you know uh, a lot of fans gravitated towards because they could really see the humanity of of who this guy was. You know, so when you watched him doing these amazing drum solos and everything, and you knew about what he'd been through, and you'd actually read some of his books and and got into, you know, his thought processes about life and about surviving and moving forward and uh, what the purpose of everything is. Hey, man, you know, that um, that just gives you a whole nother insight into somebody as opposed to just seeing somebody that you go, wow, you know, he sure can play. And, and he, you know, he's fast and he's powerful and, and, and whatnot, you know, no, he was a, a very independent thinker behind those drums. And he was a very introspective expressor of how he felt about things, you know? Right. And the last thing I'll say, as far as, you know, when you went to go see Neil Peart, 
perform, you know, and, and again, I have to say, I'm not the biggest fan of the band Rush. You know, I don't have a lot of their albums. I think Neil's lyrics kind of demanded a certain amount of attention that I never really gave to the band, but, you know, it was demanded. So if you weren't going to go there and really get into all the lyrical references and the stories, you know, that these albums were about, which, you know, weren't, you know, well, you know, it's like I says, a lot of things about alienation and and uh, and and personal growth, and uh, and and you know making your way in the world. But uh, you know the lyrics were the way they were written were were quite deep. And there are certain folks out there that also would say that you know the lead singer and bassist Getty Lee's voice is an acquired taste. You know, a lot of people just you know they don't like his voice. I don't have that problem, but I say all that to say that I didn't spend a lot of time uh, checking out that band, but I did go see them live once at the Microsoft Theater. And the reason I went was to see Neil, because as a drummer myself, I just felt like I had to, you know, witness this man in person. Mm. And uh, word had started getting out that he was experiencing some arthritic issues and, and uh, you know, that all that drumming and all the traveling had taken a toll on him as it does with a lot of drummers as a sidebar. I'll say that, you know, like you, you can go see, like, for instance, if Van Halen were to reunite this year or next year and, and do and give the fans the final tour that so many people, you know, have want to see the hardest chair is the drummer. You know, Alex will have the hardest time being, a senior citizen trying to hold down a two hour rock show on the drums. It's physically demanding. So a lot of other bands like Judas Priest or any band you want to name that's been in the game for 20 years plus, the drum chair is usually one of the first chairs that changes. I mean, most guys just cannot, cannot, uh, you know, live up to playing on the level that they need to be playing on. you know, for the long haul, especially in rock music, you know, jazz and other forms of music. Yes. But Mm -hmm. rock, it's just really a a punishing thing. So anyway, that's why I went to go see Neil and Rush again, being a three man band that only had the one band member change when Neil came in on the second album forward, they weren't going to, you know, if if anybody left the band, that was going to be it. Mm. So I went to see them. When, when rumors started getting around that, you know, it was going to be, Neil wasn't going to be staying with the band much longer. And I got to tell you, um, the sheer theatrical level of what Neil brought to drumming. Uh, if you've seen any photos, he's he's had kits of anywhere from two drum kits to four drum kits that he played near simultaneously. When he had the four kits set up, he would actually stand up and go over to, I mean, they'd be in a circle around him and he would get up from one set and just, you know, kind of slide his stool over and start playing another one. And then he got to a point where he, you know, they came up with uh, an electronic rig for his platform and he would be playing one kit and then all he'd have to do is stand up and the kids would rotate in front of him and then he would start playing he'd sit down and play the, 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 the next kit that was rolled around in front of him and people would lose their mind. And then, you know, his facility, his imagination, 
you know, his utilizing video aspects. He would he would be playing rock drum patterns and have videos showing you the whole history of people just losing their mind to music, whether it was jazz music, African music, rock music, surf music, whatever it was, you know, and he's just playing these incredible rhythms and kind of showing the universality of the way rhythm affects people and makes them feel. His drum, his drum sets themselves were, were works of art, you know, and uh, were just, you, you know, you could just go and, uh, and stare at his drum kit for a half hour and be thoroughly entertained just looking at the drums themselves. So those are, those are really all the things that I think made Neil Peart, you know, uh, just a, an exceptional, uh, one-of-a-kind kind of musician because he happened to be in the rock world, but he incorporated so many other facets of, of uh, music and lyric writing and, you know, really uh, his personality, his life was invested in the way that he uh, approached his artistry, man. And, and that's why I will miss him so much. But again, um, he was very, very well documented. So you can go on YouTube and find all kinds of clips of him, you know, full concerts of Rush and uh, certainly a lot of uh, edits where you can just go to one of the songs that leads into his drum solo for the night and and you can just be blown away by him uh, night after night after night. Absolutely. This is Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome, and we're joined this evening by the incomparable Mr. A. Scott Galloway, breaking it down for the late great drummer of Rush, Mr. Neil Peart. Oh my goodness, that was such a beautiful soliloquy there, Mr. Galloway. You made me think about so much, man. I'm about to pick your brain, man, because uh, I am not a drummer, another full disclosure, mm -hmm. but you are. And so you can appreciate this on a much more uh, deeply resonating level than I ever could. You mentioned a little while ago Keith Moon and how uh, people may uh, carry them within the same conversation, like a Keith Moon, heavy hitters, right? Like Mad Men on the drums, like Ginger, mm -hmm. Keith Moon. Uh, I don't know if it's fair to put John Bonham in that, that, that category, but these are hitters. And you said a moment ago, oh, and the reason why I'm thinking about them is because you said the, the, the career span or the, the first seat, if there's going to be some interchanging in the band, it's commonly the drummer that they'll switch out because of how demanding and physical uh, to hold down the drum in the group, hold down the drums in the group requires a lot. Well, of I, 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 would, I say that in the sense that particularly in, in bands that become uh, super famous and the drummer is because there's a lot of rock bands where the drummer is not a focal point but mm -hmm. you know they have you know i mean they, they can play they do their gig and and whatever i mean certainly it's crazy you know when you look at the who you know they went on mm -hmm. without you know keith was the first one to pass away as did john bonham of of led zeppelin right. and with led zeppelin you know john bonham was you know every bit as important as Robert Plant and or Jimmy Page for sure. Right. You know, I mean, I think most people um, would say that, you know, John Paul Jones, as amazing as he is as a bass player and keyboardist, was probably, you know, if he had passed first, maybe Led Zeppelin would have still gone on. They could have replaced mm -hmm. him and, and, and gone on. But John was too much of a part of the band. But I meant more in the sense of, 
you know, like the Scorpions or Judas Priest or ACDC or any number of bands where the front person is basically, like I said in the beginning, you know, the lead singer or the guitar player, you know, they got a drummer back there and, uh, and you know, he's doing his gig. But in most cases, that guy is not going to be there, you know, after the band has been around for a certain number of years because the gig is too taxing. That's what I meant. So it really is a band by band basis. Some of the most right. legendary drummers, if they were very crucial to the band, then, um, yeah, they're probably not even going to be replaced. Absolutely. Well, you, yeah, I'm glad you clarified that because you also made me think about uh, Def Leppard, who has a drummer who uh, famously had an accident of some kind, and he's continued to play with the band after that accident and even after the loss of one of his arms. And right. just looking at the, the commitment that he had to just staying with the band and, and doing what he could. And speaking of John, uh, you talk about, when the drummer is not necessarily, you know, they're, they're an integral part of the band, obviously, but they may not be the mm -hmm. center or focal point. And you made me think about Bobby Z of uh, The Revolution, who I did see mm. live like last year, and he might be someone who would fit that criteria. But another John came to mind as you were speaking, Mr. Galloway, and I'm surprised. I, why didn't we cover this drummer? Because I was certainly a fan. He passed away within the last two or three years. Maybe I didn't have a show on at the time. I don't remember. But do you remember the drummer John Blackwell? <laughs> Play. Yeah, well, John John Blackwell was one of several drummers that Prince right. had, and right. uh, and and you know I was I befriended John in the very last year of his life because he was wow. trying to get a recording contract uh, to record a jazz record, and it was a very I mean the record was done. He had Chick Corea, he had he had some really heavy stuff going on, but um, you know it was hard for him to get a deal. Because he, you know, he wasn't known in the field of jazz. He was a very great drummer, you know, exceptional. But he was trying to go from being, you know, that guy that played with Prince to, you know, having, you know, a jazz record, you know, with serious, you know, intricate jazz compositions. It wasn't smooth jazz or anything like that. You know, it was a real jazz fusion type of situation. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah, you know, uh, Prince had a number of drummers, Bobby Z being his original drummer, and, and he gave Bobby one of the biggest compliments. You know, he said that, you know, Bobby it certainly is not one of the greatest drummers in the world, but he watches me like nobody else. And if you have ever seen a Prince concert, I mean, in the days of the revolution, you know, uh, especially the early days of the revolution, Prince's shows were very much like clockwork, but toward the end, uh, when he started having, uh, when Prince started having late shows and, you know, after parties and shows and all these kind of different things, and uh, he started wanting to uh, drop things in the mix spontaneously and uh, and just, you know, do all sorts of stuff. And that's when Bobby was uh, really showed the metal that, um, that Prince was looking for. He said, you know, you know, he catches all of my cues. He doesn't miss anything. Yeah. And, uh, and I can count on him, you know, like it's my heartbeat, you know, something to to that effect, you know, but he eventually did want more flashy drummers. And of course that's when we got Sheila E and we got Michael Bland and then we yes. got John Blackwell and, you know, he, yeah. he, he wanted some other things going on in that drum chair. So mm -hmm. yeah, it just goes to show you, I mean, there's a lot of different elements that uh, a band leader looks for when it comes to drummers. Sometimes they just want somebody really solid that they can depend on. And other times, 
they they want the drummer to be somebody that you know they could all leave the stage and give him five ten minutes him or her you know five or ten minutes you know alone and they and they can hold it down or they can be flashy or they can right. do, do that sort of thing.